Broadcasting from high above the reserve, this is Radio Harambe. And thanks as always for tuning in to Radio Harambe. I'm David Pride, broadcasting from the Radio Harambe studios. Joining me in studio, Safari Mike. Mike, how are you? Jumbo Dave, how are you? I'm good. Um, we have quite the idea Mike came up with. Um, <laughs> probably one of his best ideas, I have to say. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, well, I really enjoyed this. As you could tell by the amount of my ideas, but okay, go ahead. I usually do. Uh, <laughs> but you could tell by the amount of time I put into this when you started asking me about it. So Mike decided, and his ideas weren't all great, but he, but he decided what we should do, and I love this idea, is create a Animal King, Disney's Animal Kingdom Hall of Fame. Uh, I think you had there was some relation with the baseball Hall of Fame. There's some reason why you did this. There was there was some yeah. The baseball was, was announced. Football. The baseball and football are announced around the same time, which is about three or four weeks ago now. Right. So that, that's what sparked my idea. Okay, so Mike wanted to do a base uh, a Animal Kingdom Hall of Fame, and uh, I I jumped right on board. Of course, making adjustments to this plan because his original plan wasn't quite as good. Uh, so, but what we're going to do tonight <laughs> is we are going to induct the original four, right? The 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 first four. Okay. Now, baseball famously has its. Initial inductees. There must be a, a, a phrase for them. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think were Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb Christy Mathewson, right? So this was sort of going back into the history of baseball to find these original guys because I think they're, they're certainly all were retired. Chris, Christy Mathewson oh, yeah. retired yeah. And for years when they did this. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. so what we're doing with the first four is really going back to the founding of the Animal Kingdom to bring you the four sort of, you know, faces on Mount Rushmore. If, okay. If the Animal Kingdom had a Mount Rushmore. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay. Uh, we don't know how this is going to evolve. Um, it may involve listener participation at some point in time. Um, we're not really sure. But I what I wanted to do was at least be because Mike came up with these wild ideas of, like, you know, inducting one of the leaves on a tree and... Uh, that's a little yeah, bit so, of something like that, you know, like uh, attractions and restaurants. Yeah, I don't, stuff. I don't know how we induct a restaurant, but um, sure, especially no, I mean, you can't, you can't induct a restaurant. But, 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 but we could, <laughs> but, but that is something that I decided. Uh, what we'll do is discuss that later on. Maybe discuss it with you, the listener, as we get to our next group of um, inductees. We might do this twice a year rather than just once a year, oh, okay, or something like that. Um, and uh, but just to, but initially, I thought we at least had to do. This sort of Mount Rushmore, okay, of the Hall of Fame. But so, but before we do that, all right, you have some news. Uh, sure, there was a couple of babies born. There was, there was, wasn't there a zebra? There was a zebra born and a I forget what the other. It was an antelope of some type, and I can't think of what it was. Was it a water buck? Maybe 
It was a Hartman's Mountain Zebra, which are the ones that are found okay. in the Animal Kingdom Lodge. Right, right, right. And a Sitatunga. What is that? It is an antelope, a relatively large antelope, usually found in kind of... Uh, Where is it found in the Animal Kingdom? Animal Kingdom Lodge. Both of these are from the oh, okay. Animal Kingdom Lodge. So very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, the mountain zebras are uh, endangered down the SSP. Uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum at, uh, at various different shows, but they uh, are a highly endangered uh, zebra. So that birth is really uh, important. The Sitatunga, yeah, of course, awesome. know, having a baby antelope running around is, uh, is cute <laughs> and all that. But they're not quite as endangered as the mountain zebras. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, one other thing, Dave. Yeah. If you're uh, ready to move on. Sure. We have America's favorite game. <laughs> oh, God. The Animal Kingdom has announced a limited time walking tour as oh, part nice. of its park's multi-day Earth Day. Okay. Seems kind of what I know. Wait a minute. So, so we're talking about a tour that's only happening for a couple of days? No. A two-hour tour that lasts it starts on March 29, and it'll be available through May 2nd. Uh, it is a two-hour walking tour to discover what it takes to bring the magic of animals, culture, and conservation to life. Highlights well, include cool. insider inspiration. Embark on an onstage walking tour. There's no backstage in this tour. Okay. Onstage walking tour that highlights the use of authentic details, clever construction, and imaginative design nice. to tell stories throughout various lands. They've had similar type of tours in the past okay. uh, that have been gone for a few years now. And there's also the conservation connection where you will meet an animal care expert to learn what they do to help and care for the animals in the park and what they're doing to save species worldwide. The tour starts at 8 a.m. with check-in check in, excuse me, at 7.45. Of course, theme park admission is required. Dave, for that two-hour walking tour, guess how much that costs. $65. Very close, Dave. Wow. This might be the closest in the history of the game. $69 oh, per person. Oh, there you go. Uh, a 15% discount is available, by the way, for annual pass holders. I am unsure about DVC uh, members. They might get a similar discount. They often do, but it's not listed here on the uh, on the information. All those tours like that were in and around that range. Yeah. Of yeah. Uh, 65 or 60 or what have you. Yep, exactly. Okay. So so that's it. So we're ready to go. We are ready to go, Dave. Okay. Do you want to say anything about this before we begin? Uh, no, I think you explained it fairly well at the start. I think this is a fun thing to do, and going in the future, it'll be hard to pick. It will um, be. It's uh, going to get a lot harder yes, to pick. This, the, these are straightforward and relatively easy. I'll let you make, obviously, the announcements of who's who. But the, there is an obvious. Just like Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb are obvious. Right. First... <laughs> Initial Hall right, of Famers. Right. This is relatively. We're talking the Babe Ruth and Ty Cobbs of uh, yeah. Animal Kingdom. And I think as we go forward, um, you know, it's going to have to evolve uh, because what will happen is, and and, and I'm going to mention this in one of the inductees here. There's going to be a lot of people who um, you don't know. Sure. Who probably should be in the Hall of Fame, but if you don't know them. Probably a reasonable chance that neither Mike nor I might know them, sure. might not know them either. Sure. So it will take more time and effort, and um, you know, and, and then uh, some of them will be obvious, and then we have to decide whether or not we're going to let in Mike's inanimate objects. Well, let me talk and, about that to begin with. My okay. initial idea was to include not only people um, 
like actual living people who worked the parks and formulated the parks and all of the stuff that we're going to get to. I don't think it's any secret that Joe Rody's going to be one of these people that are listed as uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll use him as an example. Um, you know, the Joe Rody's of the world. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, I had an idea of like Kilimanjaro Safari, uh, you know, Tusker House, Dinosaur, right. or Dr. Seeker, Warden Wilson, things of that nature. Right. Um, I hate that idea. And uh, you were anti. You just want the actual people behind uh, the park itself as opposed to things in the park. People. Because um, when we're talking about a theme park, it's a little right. bit different than baseball or football. Sure. Where it's, I mean, there's nothing but people to. Right. You're not going to, you know. So, so I could induct be. Induct the Dallas Cowboy uniform. Right. So I could be. Um, talked out of that for a while, but I think at fir- the first few. Okay. Should certainly be uh, people. If you want to bring in, uh, my feeling is, and we're I'm, we're saying this because I want you all the way in here. Um, my maybe characters like a character that has something to, like a like, like Doctor Seeker. Maybe something like that could be something that we get in at, at some point in mm-hmm. time. Um, or would you actually name the actor? That's a great question. Or the person <laughs> who wrote his lines, or something. You know, it's, it's but those are harder to answer. Anyway. So, as you can see, the Hall of Fame is evolving. It's easy in baseball. Did you play baseball or didn't you? you know? <laughs> and were you really good at it or not? Right, right. <laughs> it's, not easy. it's not as easy here because the people who really bring this stuff to life are generally um, the other idea you know, people you this, don't know. The other idea I had about this was, uh, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, was listener participation. Right. So, in the sports Hall of Fames, and I, I'm assuming this works at Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too. I'm not sure. They have journalists fill out a ballot, and if you get a certain per- on the ballot of a certain percentage, okay, you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. I thought about finding longtime listeners and fans of the show to sort of be our quote unquote journalists. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. To Sorry, fill out ballots in the future. I mean, we're doing it the first the, the yes. initials. These the the four that I'm going to give you here. Um, if you don't vote for these four unanimously, uh, you shouldn't be voting. <laughs> Is basically how I feel. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But going forward, that might be an idea that we have. Yeah. So think about that. Yeah. And if you guys certainly shoot us an email or you yeah. know, find me on Twitter. Jombo everyone at gmail.com. If you have any ideas, sure. If you spend your time thinking about this, uh, like Mike does, you can certainly email them. Both of us read that email. Jombo everyone at gmail.com. Um, okay. Are we ready to go? We are indeed. So what I'll do is I will tell you the inductee. I will give you the basic reasons. I'll give you my basic uh, bio of them, of this person. Oh, all right. All men, by the way. Um, and uh, not a very diverse group here, but what can <laughs> I tell you? Democratic primary. Uh, they can't, <laughs> can't, I can't help you here. Um, all men. Uh, so so I'm going to give you their basic bio, and I'm going to skew that bio towards... Animal Kingdom? Animal Kingdom. All right. All right, because they're, obviously these are people with large uh, biographies. I believe it comes as no surprise that the first person that we will mention to be inducted into the Animal Kingdom Hall of Fame is Walt Disney. <laughs> Never heard of him. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go too much into the bio for Walt, uh, but basically... People listening to the show probably know who Probably know, but I'll give you some bullet <laughs> points if you're new. Uh, Walt was born in Chicago in 1901. He died in Burbank in 1966. Um he started as an illustrator uh, in Kansas City and in places like that. 
uh, moved to Hollywood and soon began making cartoons for movies. Now, this was back in the day when films had these short cartoons and newsreels beforehand. Uh, the film distrib distribution companies and the film houses used to pay animators to create funny little cartoons at the start of the movie. Uh, and that's what Walt did. He made a whole slew of them, different ideas from Silly Symphonies, which was sort of a potpourri of ideas, to uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and then eventually on to somebody you might have heard of named Mickey Mouse. Um, one of the things about these, especially in the beginning, is that they always seemed, at least in some respect, to have to do with animals, mm -hmm. <laughs> whether it be Oswald, the three little pigs, maybe it was an, uh, an object like a, a tree moving around or something like that. Now, there was other things. There were people, there were skeletons. We've all seen these things. But all, even when there were people, there were often animals interacting sure. with the people. Uh, the first ones that he did was an Alice in Wonderland type of thing, uh, where he actually put Alice, uh, a, a girl, into a animated world. And, of course, she interacted with animals. There were always animals involved. Uh, as you all know, Walt um, you know, went on to make all these movies, animal-related, Bambi, and all this kind of stuff, and then uh, opened his theme park, Basically invented, he did a couple of things. He pretty much invented two very important things for the Animal Kingdom. Mm -hmm. One of them was the theme park. <laughs> sure. Without Disneyland, there would probably be no Disney's Animal Kingdom. Certainly the idea of story in behind a park, of theming, of immersion, all these things that Joe Rohde talks about, about every single thing he does, these all start... With Walt Disney. Yeah, prior to Walt, I mean, a, a theme park was essentially a Ferris wheel and a wooden roller coaster. Was a carnival. Or, or was essentially a carnival. carnival. Essentially, yep. right. Um, he, obviously, I mentioned before, he had animals as part of his films. He famously brought live animals into the Disney studios for animators to study before making Bambi. Mm -hmm. um, so animals were always part of it. Probably his biggest contribution to the animal world, other than theme park, is the other thing that he pretty much invented is what we now know as the nature documentary. Um, there are whole networks on it. Yes. Uh, there are entire networks devoted to it. It is an incredible industry um, that pretty much began with Walt Disney and his short called Seal Island in 1948. He then began a series of films for the next oh, 12 or 15 years or so called The True Life Adventures. I think there were 14 films altogether. He won eight Oscars for them. Um, the man basically invented the modern nature documentary. Now, if, if, uh, just as an aside, if you go back into our library, deep, deep dive into Radio Harambe several years ago now, we did a whole show about True Life Adventures. That's right. I think with uh, Josh from Modern Mouse Radio, if my we memory serves or, correctly. Josh or, or Matt? Parish, one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. I, um, I think it was Josh, but that's okay. It is an incredible, incredible group of <laughs> films. Uh, some of them are obviously better than others. Mm -hmm. They are a little, a little dated in the way they present, sort of, um, and also a little, I would call, family friendly. Family friendly and kind of they kind of humanize. Yeah, they kind of humanize the you know yeah the the narrator gives you things you know kind of funny little jokes and yeah, humanize yeah. things. Um, but it was... Different than what you'll see right. today on Nat Geo or whatever. But incredible cinematography for its age. Um, it, I mean, it's an amazing contribution to conservation. I mean, he was one of the people who basically began uh, 
animals and basically brought animals and wildlife to the hearts of kids. Uh-huh. And uh, what a difference that made. So um, absolutely, obviously, as I mentioned, Walt went on to do so many other things. Uh, but and we all know him, so I don't get too far into him. But I give you on our first name on the Hall of Fame of Disney's Animal Kingdom, Walt Disney. There's not much to add to what you just uh, relayed, Dave. The only thing I would add is that, you know, as you said, Disney was very, right from the beginning, very animal oriented. And even the theme parks, things like Jungle Cruise, um, they had live animals yes. in Disneyland early on. They um, sure did. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's animals and Big Thunder. Not that he had any real involvement with that, but you know what I mean. There's a lot well, of the attractions have. Okay, so so Walt did have an not in Big Thunder, right? But um, Big Thunder Mountain is sort of an extension of the Frontierland sure. as it began with, which did have, I believe, a petting zoo. It absolutely did. It also up had, until recently, right? It also had horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should you should wait to see these pictures of people walked up riding on top of a Conestoga wagon or. <laughs> I mean, you can't with nothing, right. no, no, no seatbelt or anything. It's amazing to look at it. Um, yeah, he did bring animals into um, into the park. He also there's a lot of a lot of people say he he originally explored the idea of the Jungle Cruise as a live animal right thing, a live animal attraction, which would have been the very first of its kind. Absolutely, if he was able to do it, um, he just for a lot of reasons. Uh, and you have to consider also at the time um, the budgetary constraints he had with Disneyland because uh, Jungle Cruise was, you know, one of the very first, uh, it, it, the budgetary constraints he had. Uh, so he couldn't really afford to do that, which I, I think at first he thought that might be cheaper than making robots, but mm-hmm. it really wasn't, which we'll learn later. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, he he... he came this close to inventing the very first... Yeah, but even in the original <laughs> Disneyland, there was a lot of, not just the movies, but there was a lot of animal um, aspects right. to the park. Sure was. So, our second name, the second pillar, standing next to Walt as you walk into the hallowed halls of the Animal Kingdom Hall of Fame. Are we building this? Wait, 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 uh, uh, I, might, this? I might build it into a website. Um, <laughs> is, of course, Joe Rohde. Uh and we all know who Joe is. I'll give you a brief, brief, brief <laughs> biography. Uh, he was born in Sacramento, I think, in 1955. He was raised in Hawaii. Yes, that I knew. Um, he's a he went to Occidental College, has a fine arts degree from there. Uh, he came, began work at Walt Disney Imagineering in 1980 when he was 25 years old, and uh, this was during the building of Epcot, and he worked as a model designer and a scene painter for the Mexico Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Um, he later went on to develop Captain EO. If you he's remember the, that. Yeah, he's in the making of yep. thing, yeah. If you, if you remember, that was the Michael Jackson film. Um, you know, now it seems kind of kitschy and campy, but at the time it was huge. Yeah, huge. huge. <laughs> I mean, it was a huge thing to have Michael Jackson, who was probably the biggest name in the country at the time, or one of the biggest effects names were amazing. in the world. The 3D effects at the time were amazing. And I believe George Lucas had something to do. 100% with the, correct. Right, correct. okay. Angelica Houston Angelica was the Houston, bad guy. Yeah, who was right. also a giant star at the time. Right. Um, and they put that in the hands of this 20-something-year-old guy to help develop it, uh, you know, visually. Uh, he also developed the Norway Pavilion. In part, yeah. In part, yeah. Part, part of that. Uh, the Adventurers Club. And this is where we really start to see Joe Rody turn into Joe Rody. Adventurers Club? Adventures Club, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is a club that is 
tailor-made for the animal kingdom, yeah. really. It's an explorer's club. Uh, Mike, um, uh, just quickly, also, uh, obviously, um, you know, post the animal kingdom, he uh, built Alani out in Hawaii. He was the designer for that. He's now designing a similar sort of destination uh, in the Bahamas mm -hmm. for the Disney Cruise Line. Um, so, uh, and then in between all of that, really in between, you know, the Adventurers Club and here is the Animal Kingdom, which started years before 1998 when Absolutely. he was when he was handed that. Why don't you talk a bit about the Adventures Club? Tell them a little bit about it, because okay, it's been many years since sure. it closed now, and I think some of you younger people uh, listening to the show, um, you know, when we complain about how, when you hear people complain <laughs> about what used to be there being better than what's there now, um, you know, don't just poo-poo them, because this is one of those things we all wish we still had. Sure. Explain so what this was it all It was about. a part of Pleasure Island, which... Which is now was, Disney Springs. Which is now Disney Springs. Um, it was geared to be sort of more an adult theme, and there was a lot of clubs. There was uh, mannequins and a, like a Western bar and a comedy club. So you can go to different clubs. But the most Disney out of all of those clubs, the one that's really was really Disney, was the Adventurers Club, which was the headquarters of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, which, by the way, you could still see in parts of the uh, parts of different parks. For example, Mystic Manor in Hong Kong Disney, um, the whatever the first name is, Mister Mystic, is a member of C. Um, as is, as is uh, the height, the Lord High Tower, who is well, the that's Tower Joe of Terror. Rody. Yes, but that's the Tower of Terror in Tokyo Disney. I yes, or, yeah. Um, anyway, so. You would go in and there would be, you know, people dressed up and in character as, you know, these kind of funny, kitschy um, explorers and adventurers. Some of those actors eventually moved on to Hollywood Studios as part of that, uh, the, you know, the people who you'd walk around Hollywood Studios and interact with you. Um, but they were, you know, there would be a show, a couple of shows a night where they would go through some of the things that they kind of found. Kind of like a comedy club, cabaret kind, kind of, of show. Yes, but very. You'd be invited into the secret uh, right. library or something. Right. And, that, you know, somebody would come out and talk about different things that they found as explorers. And, you know, there were things like, you know, seats would move when you sat them at the bar. Yeah, it was kind of, weird a drinks kind of a cartoon Indiana Jones. Very, that's a, probably a pretty good description of it. Very Indiana Jones, but very cartoony and kitschy and comedy related. Um, and, uh, you know, you go, I, I, would, when, I would go there and enjoy a drink and enjoy just like the yeah. spectacle of it. It was a great place to go. Uh, it is long gone. Kungaloosh. What was Kungaloosh? That was the, the thing that they would all cheer. We'd all the, yell Kungaloosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so it's, it's an obviously an, uh, it was an amazing place. It was really really cool uh, for the again for those of you a lot don't of artifacts know artifacts and stuff. Lot which of, is right in Joe Rody's wheelhouse. I mean, this was this was you could see here where uh, I mean you could see you you know when you're when you talk about a guy who's developed the Norway Pavilion and um, you know the Mexico Pavilion, you know the research and um, all of that kind of work that goes into that. That really has become Rody's calling card. The authenticity, uh, the idea of artifacts and real life things being mm -hmm. brought into here. Now, none of that, I mean, these things all at the Adventures Club, I believe, were fake or plastic. They were. But it was all imagined as this um, club that of people who explored the world to the from the Himalayas to the sure. yada, 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 to the Amazon jungles and the, you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and you could really see in there the richness 
of the vision of Joe Rohde developing in the Adventurers Club. That's the first one that I see that brings you to the animal kingdom. I think um, it's partly, partly themed after the actual Explorers Club in Manhattan, where people who go just gonna exploring say all over the world, including Joe. I think Joe is an actual member of it. So is Josh Gates. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. People <laughs> who go around the world exploring for whatever reasons, uh, whether it's because you're investigating theme parks or following animals or doing a show such as Josh Gates, um, they are members of the Explorers Club, and it's kind of it's you know it's a little kitschy version of that. Oh, it's a very kitschy version. Very of that. kitschy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like uh, you know, and that's, that's I believe thing. an old society old that goes. Society, yeah, yes. I mean, we could be talking about Livingston and correct, you know, Burton and people like that. I mean, so I, I you know, you there, there's there this this goes back quite a way. Correct. It's really really cool. It's I see here the beginning of this of this real exploratory mind. Of Joe Rohde, it's a, a you know, and then obviously um, in the '90s, in the early '90s, I don't know exactly when. I have a book around here that'll tell me, but um, Joe was handed this idea of exploring the possibility of an animal kingdom, uh, and then he sort of developed that, mm-hmm. and then had to pass it by the bosses. Uh, so before I go on to one of the bosses, sure. As our third name, do you want to wrap up anything with Rody, or are we all? Well, I mean, the only thing I would say, I mean, obviously, I mean, this was an obvious slam dunk uh, choice for the Hall of Fame yes. of Animal Kingdom. This was the the most obvious choice out of all of them. There is probably no person more closely associated with a th- one theme park than Joe. Than is. Joe, it's a great, other great other point. than I would, the only one I would say would be Walt and Disneyland. Uh, it's a great point, Mike. Other than Walt Disneyland, Joe point. Rody is Mr. Animal Kingdom. No park has that kind of founding father. Like right, Animal Kingdom. Does. It is amazing when you think about it's it. It's still I mean, there since since Disney's Animal since Disneyland was opened. Um, you know, that was the only theme park Walt really oversaw. He oversaw some very early stages of Disney World of of the Magic Kingdom. Sure, really only in the effect of uh, the buying of the land and and things like that. He was not really part of it. Now, I mean, he died Magic six King- years before it opened. Right, the Magic Kingdom obviously is a almost a carbon copy of Disneyland just sort of expanded and made a little bigger and then a lot of changes were made along the way. So you could def- definitely say Walt is could be associated with that. But all the other parks that they've built from the overseas parks, uh, with one exception maybe, um, and certainly all the parks in the U.S., there is no one. I mean, people relate Eisner to Euro Disney and Marty Sklar to Epcot. Marty Sklar to Epcot, maybe. Those are tangential. You know, those are not like this. This man was the CEO of the Animal Kingdom. He was the front face. He was the be all and end all of Animal Kingdom. Disneyland's Walt's Park. Animal Kingdom is Joe's. Is Joe Rody's Park. Absolutely. And uh, that's you know, you could see in Rody what what we have now. I mentioned to you before one of the bosses. So, <laughs> Joe um, decides he needs to convince the top brass. Now, the top brass at the time is Frank Wells, yep, who was the uh, chief financial officer at the time. Marty mm-hmm. Sklar, who might have been in charge of Imagineering, uh, and a uh, CEO named Michael Eisner, who is our third name on the Disney's Animal Kingdom. Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to convince them, uh, uh, one of the questions they had, I believe one of the questions Eisner had, was do animals do live? I mean, Eisner had been to zoos. 
And he said, I've heard him say this, I've been to some great zoos and they're fantastic, but is it at the level of what we do here? Is it, you know, can it be as emotionally pulling on our guests as the other things that we're known for? So to combat this, Joe Rohde had a Bengal tiger <laughs> on a leash brought into this meeting and paraded the tiger. Now, Rohde wasn't holding the leash. Paraded the tiger around the... Uh, Unless the Incredible Hulk was holding the leash. Right. I'm not sure what difference that leash made. I don't know either. <laughs> paraded the tiger basically around the table. Mm -hmm. uh, getting within feet of these people whose insurance companies must have went crazy. <laughs> and at, at that point, Michael Eisner looked at, basically looked at Rhodey and said, do it. Right. Go. Green light. Yeah, that was the... Uh... That was it. Turning that point. was the convincer. And then Eisner went all in on it. Now, Eisner was born in 1942 in Mount Kisco, New York. Um, he was really a privileged youth, folks. I mean, he was raised on Park Avenue, for crying out loud. Um, I don't know anybody raised on Park Avenue. <laughs> uh, and I live not far from it. Became uh, the vice president of programming and development at, at ABC uh, in 1976, I think it was. He became the head of Paramount Pictures. Uh, and then when um, Roy Disney stepped up, to try to uh, this first iteration of the Save Disney program, Roy uh, basically engineered a board coup, so to speak, to have his nephew-in-law, <laughs> mm -hmm. Ron Miller, uh, removed as CEO and replaced in 1984, like I said, by Michael Eisner. Um, probably the biggest thing I could say about Eisner, he stepped down in 2005, but the, but the biggest, the, the thing that needs to be associated with Eisner the most, and therefore the Animal Kingdom, is what he called the Disney decade. In the 1990s, um, Eisner decided he was going to make Disney the number one creative, you know, engine in all of the world, in all, in all of Hollywood, in all of uh, uh, creative culture. And he did that. Uh, he did that in a lot of ways with great films. Obviously, the 1990s is when great movies happened, like The Lion King and all that kind of stuff, uh, with expansion of his parks, building of resorts. And the last real item on this list was the Animal Kingdom. Now, he was the person who was sort of shepherding all of um, Hollywood Studios. Mm -hmm. And I really got to hand it to Michael Eisner, who was a... Control freak, to yep. say the least, uh, who had, hand, like I said, had had put himself pretty much in charge of Euro Disney and of um, Disney of, of the Hollywood Studios, which at the time was called the Disney MGM Studios. Uh, I really got to hand it to him for handing over this theme park, basically, to Joe Rohde. Uh, and we can't... It's hard to put your name on... Or put your finger on how Eisner doesn't relate to the development of the animal kingdom. Uh, sure, Rhodey was the man who created it all. He was the vision behind it. But none of it would have happened if Eisner didn't back it. That's the kind of CEO Eisner was. Uh, he was a he was in charge of the whole thing. And even though we can all argue about how he pulled the plug on the beastly kingdom and all this kind of stuff, um, we, you cannot argue with the fact that without Eisner, the Animal Kingdom is never built. Right. It never starts. Never be built today, that's for sure. No. That's for darn sure with the evil no. bobs. No, um, no, 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 no. 
I would, with all due respect to uh, Ron Miller, Card Walker. Card Walker. That was the name I was trying uh, to think of. Uh, Bob Iger. Right. With all due respect to all of them, the second most important person in the history of Disney is Michael Eisner. I would say so. Especially from a park's point of view. He transformed Walt Disney World from a two-day in a week vacation Florida, uh, in, in Florida to an all-hands-on-deck yep. resort. He created all of the hotels, essentially uh, the fact that you can have moderates and cheap hotels, and not that they're yep. cheap, are all, it's all Mike, the uh, Eisner. <coughs> the cruise line, all yep. Michael Eisner. <laughs> yep. Um, the film renaissance, all Michael Eisner. Yep. And Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom is because of Michael Eisner and his policy of going all in on the parks. He was a park guy. Iger was never a parks guy. Um, Eisner was a parks or is a parks guy. Um, what well, was anyway when he was the CEO. And uh, like you said, Dave, without Eisner, there would be no Animal Kingdom, and there's no chance in heck that a Animal Kingdom would be built today under the current management and, and their philosophy. In 1984, Disney was under a very real threat of a hostile takeover. Right. Um, and at the time, that usually meant the company would be broken up, um, you know, sold off in pieces and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and Eisner st stepped in and stabilized everything first but then also expanded everything. So when Magic, when when Walt Disney World, for those of every one of you who buy your annual passes, get your DVC membership, take your resort, your your uh, Magical Express, and never want to leave the bubble. Eisner created the bubble. Right. Absolutely. Before Eisner, all the Magic Kingdom was was the transportation and ticket center, the park, um, and two hotels. Well, three hotels if you want to count Fort Wilderness. Okay, Fort Wilderness, <laughs> where there's animals. Uh, but So th it was a small complex. That was it. I remember as a kid going to Disney World to just go to the Magic Kingdom. And when we went to Florida, we would go and we'd go to SeaWorld for a day Bush or Gardens. maybe drive out to Busch Gardens or something like that. Silver because Springs. Silver Springs, exactly. Because all that was in Disney was the Magic Kingdom. You bought a day pass, you walked in the door, and that was it. It was Eisner who created things like annual passes and multi-day uh, mm -hmm. passes. He's the one who wanted you to walk in the door and not want to leave until it was time for you to get on the plane and go home. He, he wanted all your money. He wanted everything. He wanted it to be a destination resort, which is Absolutely. what fans fell in love with. Absolutely. You know, and that's where we are today. Uh, the Animal Kingdom obviously is a big part of that. The Animal Kingdom Lodge is a big part of that. Sure. That's all part of this Disney decade, this idea that he had to create uh, this amazing, you know, resort. I got a bug in the studio. A bug in the studio? What? Yeah. Sorry. This is a conservation show when you're trying to kill a bug in the studio? <sighs> yeah, well, it's not an endangered bug. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I might cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> So, um, so Eisner, I think, Absolutely. I think we, we can't, you know, you can't really argue with that. No, that's an obvious choice. The fourth name, and I really, really wanted to put on a name here that you, the average listener, the average, maybe even the average Animal Kingdom fan might not know. Uh, and there are going to be a lot of these. As in the we future, go, in the sure. Future. Um, but this one is perhaps... 
this the single guy, uh, the most important single guy you've never heard of in relationship to the development of the park sure. and the actual ability for Disney to pull this off. Fair. Okay. This man's name is Rick Barangi. Now, uh, Rick, his 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 biography information is less easy to find. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, went to Cornell, I believe, and Rutgers as well. Um, grew up in Long Island. Uh, he had like zoological uh, degrees from Cornell and a master's, I think, from Rutgers. Uh, he was the curator of the children's zoo at the San Diego Zoo and then was promoted to the curator of mammals at the San Diego Zoo. When Disney approached an incredibly uh, influential person in the world of zoos, a man named Bill Conway, I think, yes, who was from the Bronx Zoo, director of the Bronx Zoo, he for was the years. director of the Bronx Zoo for years, and one of one of really the nation, right, and one of really one of the nation's most important um, zoo people. I don't absolutely. know how else one hundred percent at the time, absolutely. Right. Uh, Disney approached uh, Conway. Uh, they 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 talked. Uh, Conway helped with some of the initial stuff. But uh, one of the things he pressed on them was, you need somebody more involved. I can't do this for you. I can't, you know, it's such a big deal. You need somebody to tell you how big a deal this is and how difficult this is going to be. And he suggested Rick Barangi. Rick was, you know, one of the younger people in the field at the time, certainly at the level that he was at. Uh, he asked the, the, the curator, the head of the San Diego Zoo, could he take part in this as a consultant? Uh, the San Diego Zoo said sure because it wasn't in California, pretty much, and they didn't really didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so Rick Barangi was brought in to the cons- sort of consult at the beginning, uh, and then he, there's a quote somewhere where he says, "I realized they weren't just making a petting zoo here, right? Like this was going to be crazy." Uh, and then and then it was Rick who, oh, the best way to put it. Um, he made the design. So before he came in, the design team had no idea some of the challenges that they would face. Sure. And without Rick pointing to them early to certain things, like for instance, what if they need to have a maintenance team walk in and fix the crocodile bridge? (laughs) Can't, can't ask the crocodiles to go into their bedroom for the night. Um, How do we do that? How do we fix that? What, what? How do we attach? So it's we're not just talking about Rick was able to, to point them in the direction of not just how do we get guests to see the animals and to be close to the animals, but also how do we deal with the animals? How do you feed them? How do you feed them? Another example of this uh, right. is the Tiger River Rapids was originally going to be a water version of Kilimanjaro Safari through an Asian rainforest. And one of the ideas they had was to actually have tigers in an exhibit along the river. Right. And Rick had to tell them, you know, tigers, tigers swim like water. So unless you <laughs> want the guests to be eaten, um, no, we're not going to be able to do that. Now, remember, Joe Rohde has an art degree from sure. Occidental College. He has no idea. So he needed somebody with this kind of expertise an who animal was guy. willing to do it. Right. You know, because a lot of people had jobs, you know, and this was Disney really a serious 
about this? Or were they just making a theme park with a couple of elephants? You know, like there was a lot of negativity towards the idea even back then in the zoological world. And it was Rick and another, another big step. It was him that really sat down with the brass and told them what they need to do to become accepted in the zoological world and the conservation world and in how incredibly important that was to the future of the park and the success of the, of the, of the venture. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the guy who really did all that. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not a designer. Uh, he didn't work for Disney for any long period of time. There are people who came after him who did a lot of work, who did an incredible amount of stuff, and we will get to those names as we go. But the first person really to step in and, and have an incredible impact on the day-to-day -day life of Disney's Animal Kingdom was really Rick Barangi. And you could talk about him more than I can. Well, well, first of all, we talked about him at length at a, at a show about uh, you know Animal Kingdom being a zoo. Um, but yes, uh, he was... When the park was first being developed, they had a panel. Bill Conway was one of the members. I know Terry Maple was on it. Right. Some people from various conservation groups were on it. Um, you know, Terry Maple being the director of the Atlantic Zoo for years, which was a dump, and he made it into a in a world class zoo. And Bill Conway was the director of the Bronx Zoo for many years. So they had this right. panel of people to sort of gear them in the right way. But as you said, Joe Rohde was a theme park guy. They needed an animal guy. The whole park, the, the whole the whole company was theme park guys. Right. There was no animal guy to, to be sure. Found. There was nothing. I mean, I mean, they had Discovery Island and they had a, a couple of zoo people who were working that, but it was not the same thing. It was just an island full of birds and turtles. Um, right. They, I mean, they had some zoo people on staff, but I mean, it wasn't it, not like this. Right. And Rick was a like you said the curator the curator of mammals at the San Diego Zoo, probably one of the top two or three zoos, if not the top zoo in the country. So he was, even at the time, he was, you know, that's a big position in the quote-unquote zoo world. And they were able to tap him and have him come over and sort of gear or steer, I should say, um, the theme park people in the right direction in terms of how to um, exhibit animals, how to, but more importantly, how to care for animals. Um, you know, right. the, the Joe Rody could design a beautiful exhibit for um, for a tiger, but it was Rick who said, well, this is how you have to get them in at night, what their nighttime quarters need, what their... They had no idea. They had no idea. Such what, a thing was even needed. Eat, how much they would eat, how you would actually get them the food, how you would only feed them at night so they would come in uh, into their night exhibit freely so you didn't have to like force them in. All that kind of stuff. You know, this some along basic with, stuff. Along with assembling a team sure. of his own to help them throughout all this. Now, sure, sure. Re remember at the time, what we're pretty much talking about is Kilimanjaro safaris and a handful of small- and Gorilla Falls. Yeah, Gorilla Falls, that, that, but, which is all in that one complex balcony. Right, and Discovery Island had right. a few smaller a exhibits. A handful sure. of smaller exhibits. So, what he, so his biggest concern and the centerpiece of the park mm -hmm. was the safari. I sure. mean, basically, this, just like the backstage tour was the centerpiece of Disney MGM Studios, mm -hmm. Kilimanjaro Safaris was the centerpiece of the Animal Kingdom. You came to the park for that ride when they right. first opened. Uh, so, and and all of it. I believe it was one of only two rides at the time, right? Right. Everybody, everyone 
involved was focused on the success of Kilimanjaro safaris. And it was Rick who Rick Barangi who really made that all happen. He was he was the first person to help them with, you know, uh, seeing the animals, designing and seeing the animals. But like I said, he brought he was not only his own, uh, you know, not only the the number one consultant for all this, but he set up a team of other consultants who helped with all sorts of things going down the line. I'm not sure how long Rick stayed there. I don't. I think he kind of consulted for just a few years. He's now at the director of the Houston Zoo. Correct. I think. So he has moved on to a bigger and better job, um, you know. So, but I give you Rick Baranke. <laughs> yeah, I think we've covered Rick uh, to to a great extent here. He was uh, instrumental in the early part of uh, Animal Kingdom and put the animals. You know, <clears throat> when you're driving through the Kilimanjaro safaris and you could, you know, the giraffes are real close. It was Rick who designed the exhibit or who helped steer them and how to get the animals to be exhibited best. And just so you know, I did not give you that list in order of importance in my mind. Like I said, they are the four pillars, the four faces on uh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, (laughs) I gave it to you in order of time spent with the company. (laughs) Walt being the longest tenured, obviously. Joe Rohde's next, Eisner after that, and Varangi after that. Sure. Uh, so uh, there you go. So what do you think, folks? That is our first Hall of Fame. If you have suggestions for the Hall of Fame. There's two questions we need answered. Do we want to continue with just actual people versus, you know, right. exhibits or fake people or characters, whatever? And number two is, do we want the listeners to cast ballots and have like an actual Hall of Fame vote? So my thought was yeah. I would... I, I'm willing to make it I, faces on a plaque. That face could be Mickey Mouse if you want. <laughs> Warden Wilson, but faces on a plaque. So I'm I'm uh, while I'm not completely I'm not completely against Mike's idea uh, of expanding it to really almost anything. I want to know what you, the listeners, think about my idea of at least it being faces on a plaque. Whether those faces be fic- fictional. <laughs> Dr. Seeker, Mickey Mouse, or non-fictional is Carnosaur is something that I'm willing to hear arguments for, for and against. All right, whether it should be one or the other. Maybe you know, maybe in future classes we limit us to one fictional character or something like. That. However, we want to do it. We'll 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 see going forward. Classes sure. could be bigger than smaller than four. I only used four because those were the four names that I I, I have a whole list of names, uh, lists that come from not only me but from other high-ranking sources of people involved in the development Perhaps of the Animal Kingdom. people on the, in the Hall of Fame. Perhaps, yes. Uh, who <laughs> pointed at... <laughs> Mr. Rohde, thank you very much if you're listening, <laughs> who pointed out a whole slew of names of people I've been researching. I, I, I read through a lot of that, and I just kind of fell on Barangi as the one guy in that list. Um, and he might not have even been on that list, because I probably mentioned him anyway uh, before, you know, said you don't need to include him. Um, but there are so there are a lot of people out there sure. who are involved in all little aspects of things. Um, I can think of another four or five immediately. Exactly. Right. We, could, we could. But do we want to add a fun element of it? Do we want to add, you know, uh, something else? I don't think Kilimanjaro Safari. I think we at least need fictional characters like Warden Wilson, Dr. Well, Seeker, Mickey Mouse, Rafiki, that kind of thing. I leave it to you, dear listener. Uh, tweet Mike. At um, you're Jumbo, everyone. At Jumbo, at Jumbo everyone. everyone. Uh, I'm at Radio Harambe. You can g- include me in this if you want to give this uh, opinion via Twitter. 
Uh, you can also email us, jomboeveryone at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Jombo Everyone. Uh, and you can also find us on Instagram at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Anything I'm missing? Sure. Um, make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. Oh, yes. Please do. Please do that. And finally, we do have a tea Public uh, store with cool Animal Kingdom design. Very can, nice. Like, yes. Winged Encounters, Nomad Lounge, Barudica's Farewell Tour, that kind of thing. Um, and all money that all the proceeds, all the profits from those T-shirt sales go to conservation. Currently, we are gathering donations for the uh, Australian wildfire or the tragedy that happened a couple of months ago. Um, Which they're still recovering. From. Yes, and they will be recovering for, for, for years. Yeah. Uh, the World Wildlife Fund has a great fund that we contributed. We've already or donated in the process of donating, maybe. I'm not sure if we actually sent the check yet or not. For um, a, you know, a rather substantial amount for from T-shirt sales. So thank you very much for that. And follow me on Twitter. I, whenever I get a notification that T Public is doing a sale, I will tweet it out so that uh, you know you can buy them on the cheap. They often have sales where the T-shirts are only thirteen dollars. Yeah. So so check that out. Um, I guess that's it. That would be it. All right. For Safari Mike, I'm Dave McBride. Quarini, go well, and thank you for listening to Radio Harambe. Kwa kuwalukwa melako na kungungu na utukupu atamel